President Trump has won. On the 14th, he put out a series of tweets that he was heavily criticized for. Many people were offended. They said, this is proof that Trump is racist. And we've heard it for the millionth time. We get it. But in the end, Trump wins. Even after all of the Democrats, even after Nancy Pelosi, Ilhan Omar come together, even after the media, conservatives, and even Republicans criticize Trump, he wins. His approval rating is up at a near uh, all-time high. Right now, his approval rating, according to the average, is the second highest it's been in his presidency in the past two years by one point, by point, by, by, by point one. His highest was 45.1. It's at 45 right now in the aggregate. So Trump did it. Even after all of this, he did it. So I'll start off this, this segment. I normally don't like leading with op-eds, but I will. But I also want to start off with a little bit of levity here. Because, you know, I was thinking about all of the accusations against Trump and why would his approval rating be up after all of this? And I realized, you know what? After the millionth time that he was called a racist, it probably just zero, has zero impact at this point. But then I started to think about something else that was kind of funny. And I'm like, you know, I've been going through my head about whether or not Trump is right or the Democrats are right. And I started thinking about what is Trump doing? Well, you know, Trump is really interested in securing our borders. We've got a great economy. You know, I think about my family members, the jobs, you know, they're looking for jobs. They're, they're able to find work. The economy is doing great. They're saving for a time and all that good stuff. Then I think about what the Democrats are doing and their, their policy position is orange man bad. And then I just realize that's why his approval rating is probably up. Because even at, at, at this point, you've only offered up the policy position of, for the most part, orange man bad. Now, now I get it. Look, I'm being hyperbolic. There are some policy positions being put forward. I've seen a lot from Elizabeth Warren, and I can respect that. You know, talking about big tech and, and censorship. Tulsi Gabbard, absolutely respect her and Andrew Yang. But all we hear from like the House Democrats... And, and the, the mainstream Democratic message has been wokeness and orange man bad. They fight with each other. Nothing gets done. So you know what? In the end, Trump can basically say whatever he wants, offend everybody. They don't care at this point. I think that's what we're saying. They just don't care. Let's read a little bit of the story and then actually take a look at the polls and break this down. I like looking at the aggregate before, you know, after, Trump, you know, somebody will make a claim. They'll be like, Trump's doing great. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's look at the data. Before we get started, Head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you want to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But of course, the best thing you can do, share this video. YouTube deranks independent commentary. So I rely on you for word of mouth. If you, know, if you think what I do is good, then please share it. But uh, outside of that, let's just get back to the news. The Washington Examiner has an op-ed titled as race-obsessed media cries wolf, Trump gains in the polls. Now, I do think Trump's tweets are worthy of criticism, but it doesn't matter. I'm not blind to see that Trump's strategy worked. Like he's, he's escaped this unscathed. In fact, his approval rating went up. Like how he knows what he's doing. Okay. I'm not going to act like he's, you know, uh, a 4D chess God emperor genius. No, but he does have a plan and it's not just him. He has staff. They know what they're doing. Let's read a little bit. They write in this op-ed, the media is helping President Trump's reelection effort by its constant, obsessive, nearly unhinged determination to tell their audience for the 2,965th time that Trump's tweets about four radical congresswomen were racist. At least three respected polls, including one just out today, have shown the backlash those, tweet, uh, the, the backlash those tweets in Trump's favor. I immediately predicted this would happen if the media persisted in its passionate, unprofessional behavior of affixing the racist label to the tweets as if the label were straight news rather than an opinion. 
As I explained last week, words matter. And wolf cries eventually cause people to get angry at the crier. The word racist in particular has been so overused as a pejorative that plenty of non-racist people at least tune it out and sometimes revolt against it. Completely agree. 100%. And here we have this story. Trump approval rating hits record high in new poll. This is the second time we've heard the story in the past week. And I want to stress, look, I, I, I try to keep on this channel a conversation about the core issues that I believe, like the biggest stories that affect policy, you know, and, and things like that. And we've seen this over and over again. While there have been scandals involving Trump, in the end, Trump pulls ahead, you know. So I'm going to do a story. I'm going to assess the facts. Trump's approval rating hits record high following the outrage from nearly everybody about his tweets. What does that tell you? I think it tells us two things. The American people are sick and tired of rhetoric. They're sick and tired of orange man bad. That means even when Trump puts it out, they don't care about his Twitter. Do, do they? I don't. I don't think so. They, 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 like, I'm sure there are many people who criticize Trump going on Twitter. There's a lot of people in, in certain polls. But in the end, does it affect their opinion of the economy, of American foreign policy? I don't believe so. I believe the American people have tuned out the bickering, but the Democrats haven't. So when Trump puts this tweet out, the political sphere ignites and everyone says, oh, Trump, how dare he? And Trump knows middle America couldn't give a damn. <laughs> I don't think I'm allowed to say damn either, but um, Trump knows it. And so the Democrats react accordingly, spiral out of control, and then look really bad off message, get nothing done. And Trump leaves with record high approval ratings. Check this out. The National Review writes, well into his third year in office, President Trump's approval rating has reached a record high, according to a poll released Monday. Trump's approval rating hit 44% in the new NPR NewsHour Marist poll, the highest level at which it's been recorded in any mainstream opinion poll, with the exception of a July 7 Washington Post poll that recorded 47% approval. Now, I want to make sure they stress it's mainstream opinion polls. So these are talking about the big news media. Rasmussen has Trump plus 50 right now. They, they, they tend to be very favorable, favorable to the president. They say respondents were surveyed from July 15th, July 17th, in the days following the president's tweet instructing four freshmen congresswomen of color to go back to their home countries. Since taking office, Trump's approval rating has hovered between 35 and 43% in the Marist poll. The poll, which included responses from 1,336 adults, also found that Trump has won over a small but significant group of independents in the last month. His approval rating among independents increased from 35% last month to 42% in the latest poll. Meanwhile, the percentage of respondents who said they will definitely vote against Trump remained unchanged from last month at 53%. So don't get me wrong. I am not a big fan of the polls. We see a lot of polls claiming Trump can't beat Biden or Buttigieg or Bernie. They say that he'll be down several points. But I got to stress, donations, I believe, are actions that speak louder than the words. If someone says they'll vote against Trump, I hear you. But when someone throws money at Trump and then someone else doesn't throw money at the Democrats, I don't believe it. The RNC has outraised the Democrats nearly two to one for the past several months. And they've got like 44 million, 43 million or so cash on hand. No debt. Democrats have like 9 million cash on hand and 5 million in debt. Actions speak louder than words. So take these polls with a grain of salt. But I have to stress, if we're, if we're, if we're judging the approval rating of Trump based on the past approval rating from the same aggregates, it does mean something. If the Washington Post does a poll 
and a year ago found 40% and today find 44. That's a relative gain. So I don't trust polls. I don't. But looking at them, you know, from the same methodology and the same structure, we do see Trump gaining. They go on to say, while Trump gained ground among independents, Democrats remain unpopular with the group. 43% of respondents in the poll said they believe Democrats would take the country in a positive direction if given the opportunity, compared with 46% who said the party would lead the country in a negative direction. I got to say, I have very little faith in Democrats, mostly because there's no strong leadership. If you watched my video on my second channel earlier, name somebody in the Democratic Party right now, anybody, not even someone running, who has the strength and charisma Obama did. Again, you don't got to like Obama's policies. The point is he had way more than any of these people. They don't have what it takes. Not only that, there's too much embracing of the woke identitarianism that I do not believe is positive for this country. Nor am I enthused by what we can see on the Republican side. But I got I to say this, man. My people, like my family, my friends, the people I grew up with were always Democrats and they are not having it right now. Not all of them. But most of my talk to say they're probably going to vote independent. And that's surprising to me because it's no longer a battle of the lesser of two evils. It's literally two evils that can't get worse for these people who are like, just count me out. And I think that's what we're going to see. Let's read on. They say, independents are on the fence overall. That, that's, there you go, right? That's what I'm saying. Said Lee Miringoff, director of the Marist Institute for Public Opinion at Marist College. They're not willing to grant President Trump re-election, and yet they're not persuaded by Democrats at this point. Because what are Democrats offering me? That was the, the, the joke I made in the beginning. I look over at Trump and he says, the economy's great. The free trade agreements were bad. We're, we, we, we're doing away with them. We got a new agreement. We're dealing with immigration. We're going to solve this problem. And I'm like, I hear you. I hear you. Democrats, what can you offer? And they look at me and go, orange man, bad. And I'm like, oh, let me weigh those options as how it's going to benefit my family and, the, and, and this country. And, you know, <laughs> it doesn't. It's just meaningless rhetoric. So when Trump puts out the naughty words, people are like, don't care. When the Democrats then say, hey, Trump's bad for saying naughty words, don't care. Tell me something substantive. What do they do? They go on the debate stage and say, okay, how about this? We give health care to non-citizens. And I'm like, what? Welcome to America. The Democrats, I think, are losing it. And look, I'm an independent, man. They say, while trust in Democrats remain low, a number of progressive policy proposals espoused by most of the 2020 Democratic presidential contenders performed well. Requiring background checks for all gun purchases received 89% support. Hey, I think that's, I actually lean in that direction, although I'm not an expert, so I'd like to have the conversation, but that sounds fine to me. Medicare for all who want it received, uh, Medicare for all who want it received 70% support before dropping off to just 41% when respondents were told the proposal would include the elimination of the private insurance market. And how many people in the debate stage raised their hand for abolishing private insurance? Only a few, but enough. So I, I, I got to say, I do like the idea of a public option, the ability for the public to buy in to Medicare, admitting, you know, I used to be very pro-universal health care. I still am technically, but I think it's a massive, massive feat that's going to be damn near impossible to implement. So we've got to figure out what gains we can make in the meantime. So I do think universal health care is something to strive for. Don't know if we can get there in, in any time soon. So we need to have a real discussion about how to move forward. Very disappointed in Obama in that regard, though I, I get he tried. He didn't pull it off. They say more radical progressive, progressive proposals such as decriminalizing illegal border crossings, 27 percent and paying reparations, 27 percent proved less popular. And I got to say, this all leads into why I think Trump is doing so well. But let's do this. We can take that article at its word. They do highlight one poll that um, a couple polls I think aren't actually in here. But let's take a look at the actual RCP average. 
Right now, we can see that according to the Real Clear Politics aggregate, going back to the beginning of this month, at least for the, the you know, what they have listed here, we can see that Trump is at 45.0 and, at, and a few days ago hit 45.1. Now, that's interesting because that 45, uh, uh, so, so that 45.1 is the highest it's been in two years. That's why it's interesting. And currently back up to 45, just shy of the highest point in two years. So Trump's had a good run of it in the past couple of weeks. And this is actually going back, where was that 45.1? That was uh, July 9th. So he's, he's doing phenomenally well. And again, this is, this is relative to the same poll. So while I take these polls with a grain of salt, for all we know, Trump's approval with the American population is way higher or way lower. It doesn't matter. It's relative to themselves. So we can take a look up here. We can see NPR, PBS, Marist showing a 45, 44% approval rating, which is up, what, like 10 points from where they had him a year ago. And we can see Rasmussen. Uh, and then we can see Reuters Ipsos, uh, as well as Economist YouGov. These four polls took place just after Trump's tweets. And we can see that although the spread isn't great, his average is. Trump's approval rating is at, is at a near, is, it's, the, it's the second highest it's been in the past two years. And if we try and lump these past couple of weeks, like per month, Trump's approval rating for July is the highest it's been in two years. And check this out. Just to, be, just to be fair on this, let's look at the max. And it goes back to the highest point, which was, I believe, 46. Is it, is it just 46? It's hard to get a precise reading on this. Around 46 back in February of 2017, right when he got elected. Then his disapproval spiked. The orange man, orange man bad narrative dominated the press. And Trump had a real low point of around an aggregate at like 37. And today it's way up. So I stress this. I always like to look at the aggregate because individual polls can, be, you know, they're all biased. But there it is. That's the point I'm making in the beginning. You can criticize Trump all you want, but I'll tell you this. When his approval rating retains a near all-time high, following his tweets, it shows you the American people don't care about what you're preaching, Democrats. They do not. The media is just pandering to the woke left and the Democrats to get their views, to get those clicks, to sell those ads. And it is not resonating with the core of the American people. Unless you think all of these polls are wrong. Like, even though the point I'm making is that, you know, Rasmussen's poll relative to itself a year ago has gone up. Mark, uh, Marist poll relative to itself has gone up. Fine. I don't care about what the number is. I care about the fact that it's higher than it's been based on their own polls relative to a year ago, period. But let's talk about, I've got a few stories I want to highlight to talk about what I think is having a big impact on 2020. And I, I kinda, I've kind of done this for the past few videos. Trump fires back at Ilhan Omar. I will win Minnesota because of you. This is the core point about what it means to win, okay? What did Trump do? He made Ilhan Omar one of the most recognizable Democrats on purpose. And that's why. He wants to win Minnesota, and he wants her to be the symbol of the Democratic Party, knowing that he can say all of these things, and he can admit it and he won't lose in the polls. Remember what he said? He talked about, he said something like he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and wouldn't lose a voter. Trump knows this, has known this. The American people, in my opinion at least, want substance. And they don't care if Trump is, they don't care if orange man bad. Let's just, let's just say it straight up. The core American voters don't care if orange man bad. And I think we should learn that lesson by now. Sure, Democrats do, but they've always thought orange man bad. It means nothing. So he can be the bad man all day and night, and the media can say it over and over again, and the regular Americans are like, great, I get it. Am I going to get a wage increase? Are my kids going to go to school? So let's do this. 
I want to highlight this now. This is seemingly uh, non sequitur, but trust me, it is. Uh, let me let me zoom out. It is relevant. Uh, I'll probably do a, a deeper dive into this uh, as a secondary segment, but I just want to stress Jerry Seinfeld, Ricky Gervais fight for the right to joke about anything versus PC police. I'll get into this in depth because there's critical pieces of it, but I wanted to highlight what's going on with wokeness and political correctness played a huge role in Trump's approval and his election. When Jerry Seinfeld and Ricky Gervais put out a segment saying straight up, yes, there is a problem you must recognize to mainstream Americans. These are high profile comedians they love and have loved for years, decades even. So when they, when they see these individuals saying, yeah, there's a problem, it resonates with them. And Trump is the one tackling that problem. My Uber driver today said, and I'm, I'm, he said he was a conservative, but he was just sick and tired of the, of the PC you know, nonsense. And he was glad Trump was just not having it. And that's what people think. It's not so much about, you know, at least for some conservatives, whether they care if Trump is tweeting, it's that they like it. So think about this. While the Democrats don't like it, people in the middle and in middle America are like, yeah, 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 we get it. Trump's bad. Am I going to get a raise? And then conservatives are laughing, saying, good, push back. Tell these people what for. And there you get, and there you go. You end up with Trump's approval rating being higher than it's been. And you can just see the overall unhinged, weird behavior from the left that Trump has propped up. So this, this once again plays into the point I'm trying to make about Trump's strategy and how he's winning this battle. Propping up Ilhan Omar and Ocasio-Cortez, meanwhile, his approval rating soars. Ocasio-Cortez, uh, this is a Daily Wire story. Ocasio-Cortez promotes unsubstantiated conspiracy about Trump. And I think it's a little, a little biased uh, uh, way to frame it. But Ocasio-Cortez talking about a story where some Louisiana police officer, one guy, shouldn't have done it, posted that she needed a round. He made a, it's, it's a veiled threat to AOC. Wrong. Absolutely detestable. Uh, look, I, I, I think, you, uh, I'll say this, Republicans, you should be loving that Ilan Omar and Ocasio-Cortez are in office and you should wish that they remain safely in office to, to, to carry out their terms and get reelected. Because they're making, they're making the Democrats look bad, okay? But this, this language from this Louisiana police officer is way over the line. Admittedly, it's some random dude on the internet, fine. But the point is, AOC then claims it's Trump's goal when he does this. Oh, please, dude. Trump's goal is to make you say things like this so you look nuts. Some Louisiana police officer posted something obscene, offensive, and, and a veiled threat. It is detestable and disgusting, and we can all agree on that. But no. There's no, there's no plan from Trump to try and make this happen. That is ridiculous. Now, the Daily Wire frames it as a conspiracy. I think we can chill out on that. The point is, Trump wants AOC to screech as loud as possible. Because she, look, the, the, the poll from Axios, that was one of the, it precipitated this basically shows. In swing states, non, not, not, non-college educated white voters have a very unfavorable view of AOC and Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar, 9%. That this is why they're egotists, they're, they're narcissists, they're arrogant, and they're not offering substance. In fact, the opposite. The Green New Deal was, was nonsense. They wouldn't even vote out of themselves. You get, you get Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez screwing up the, the Amazon deal. Where is the substance for, from Democrats? It's just not there. It's not there. Look, I get it. Elizabeth, I, I, I'm going to throw out respect to Elizabeth Warren. I've done it several times because I actually did see a, a, a plan where she tackled the problem of big tech, which I believe is one of the biggest problems we have. And Tulsi Gabbard talking about war, free speech, big tech. There are real Democrats with proposals. And I am no fan of Elizabeth Warren, but she does get my, my respect for tackling these issues. I am a fan of Tulsi Gabbard, I will add. 
But this stuff we see from AOC, the point I'm trying to make about the Democrats here is obviously there are some good ones. Obviously there are some good policies. But what the media presents because of Trump is the sheer absurdity from Ilhan Omar, AOC, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, okay, coming out and saying we need a $20 minimum wage. Oh, that is, that is what Trump wants. Because we can all agree that there needs to be reasonable boundaries. I'm sure there are Democrats saying maybe it's time for an increase. You just voted for $15, and what does Rashida do? Now it should be 20 Great. Now they look unreasonable. More, more, more. Push out this nonsense. I think for, for reasonable people, Trump's plan worked. And that's why I said it. I opened up with Trump won. His approval rating, his approval rating is at a two-year high. What does that say? It says that people either don't care or they like what he's doing at the very least. So for the most part, look, I want to stress his approval rating is still uh, less than 50% from most of these polls, except for Rasmussen. So I think a lot of people probably don't like it. But the fact that it's going up, consider this. Trump's approval rating is not as good as it, it, it could be less than 50, but going up. That means there are people who didn't like Trump and then something happened in the past couple of weeks that he did something and they're like, now I like this guy. What does that mean? Trump has the Republicans for the most part, not all of them. What did he do or say that made people actually like him? Perhaps it was his strategy to, uh, you know, cause damage to the Democrats because it, 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 it's, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that family, it's like a family guy joke where, uh, I can't remember exactly what happens, but some rich person hires an ugly woman to hang out with Meg. Do you know, I, you know, if, if you don't know about Family Guy, Meg is just like considered frumpy and ugly. And they hire an ugly woman to stand next to her. So she looks better. She looks, re- she looks better by contrast. And then all of a sudden someone walks by and goes, wow, Meg, did you get less ugly? And then she pulls the ugly woman. Like the point is when you place Trump next to the squad, maybe that does make him look better no matter how bad he is. And he knows it. He knows it. So anyway, I, 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 you get the point. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be uh, at youtube.com slash timcastnews starting at 6 p.m. The, pod, uh, the podcast is at 6.30 p.m. Uh, every day. Uh, it's a different order, but thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all in the next story. The first story we have today, Rashida Tlaib. Minimum wage should be $20 an hour, not $15 an hour, because no matter where you stop, people deserve more money, Right. I love talking about the minimum wage because it's one of these issues that is historically Democrat or left. There's a very clear dividing line between whether or not someone would be for or against. And I had a conversation the other night where I was asked if I was for or against it. And I said, well, there was a point maybe a few months ago I was more for it, but it's it's a really complicated issue. In some instances, it really does make sense, but a federal one-size-fits-all kind of doesn't, because as I explained the other day, increasing how much you get paid doesn't change the value of an hour. And that's what we're, we are really trying to figure out. How much, re, how, many, how much access to resources should you get for one hour of labor? The only real way to increase the value of an hour is the supply chain. And there's a lot of complicated issues involving supply of labor, immigration particularly. So what we see from the Democrats as, as of now is this nonsensical statement about we need $15 an hour. Okay, well, they voted for it and they agreed. And now Rashida is saying we want $20 an hour. Well, why not 30? I mean, why, why stop at 15? Oh, wait, here's the New York Times. Here's why we need $33 an hour. And that's the point. There is no line where you should stop. Shouldn't everyone be a millionaire? Of, sh- of course, but that doesn't work. 
because resources are, are finite. And we're trying to figure out what the value of an hour should be. And that doesn't change if you increase how much you pay somebody. So I'll, I'll get into the nitty gritty. But the, the, the point I want to bring up before we read the story specifically is I don't think that you are not on the left for, for questioning the minimum wage, okay? People would say, uh, I was told the other day that it's very libertarian of me to oppose it. And I said, but, but listen, if it made sense 20 or 30 years ago, doesn't mean it will make sense today. And Democrats, as of now, seem to be supporting it for the sake of supporting it. You need to consider how technology is impacting policy and then determine if you're acting in the best interest of a cooperative marketplace as opposed to a competitive marketplace. Do we want to increase the standard of living for individuals? Yes. Is a minimum wage the correct response as of today? That's questionable. There are some benefits. I'd love to talk about those. That doesn't mean I'm proposing a free market solution. It means I'm saying with the current rate of technology, the current ease of transporting resources and the, and the current free trade agreements, your proposal makes no sense because as soon as they say $15, then they come back with 20 because there's no limit. There's no, look, everybody should be a billionaire, right? Of course, it's never going to happen. That's not the way things work. Let's read the news and talk about the minimum wage. Before we get started, head over to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But of course, as most of you know by now, just share this video. And I mean that sincerely. YouTube deranks independent commentary. So we don't get the reach we used to. If you do like my content, then the best thing you can do, just, you know, drop it on Facebook or Twitter or Mines or, you know, whatever, or uh, Gab or Parlay, whatever it is you use. Tell people, hear what Tim has to say if you think it's worth hearing. Let's read the news. Rashida Tlaib called for a minimum wage of 18 to $20 on Sunday, an, an increase over the $15 minimum wage bill passed by House lawmakers Thursday. Tlaib spoke at an event in Detroit supporting One Fair Wage, an organization that lobbies for restaurant workers to be paid the federal minimum wage for non-tipped workers, according to a local Fox affiliate. She criticized the federally mandated minimum wage for tipped employees, which is $2.13 per hour. Now, now, hold on. I completely agree with that. We can't, we can't have uh, a multi-tiered system where the restaurant industry people are paid less. Now, this is really complicated because I know a lot of servers that love the free market. They, you know, but, but then things get complicated when you see these people saying, if you can't afford a tip, you can't afford to go out. And then it's like tipping was supposed to be complimentary. It was supposed to be like, you did a good job. I'm going to give you a little bit extra. Now it's mandatory. Now it's like, you didn't tip. How dare you? So it's really interesting to me that we have this system in the United States where there is an industry, one of the biggest, where you can choose not to pay somebody. Why is that a thing? Okay. The way I see it is pay a, pay a flat rate. Don't tip, Right. If that's the argument you want, to, you want to make about people working in these industries getting paid a minimum wage, well, then we shouldn't tip. It should be like if you want to. I tip everybody. I tip everybody really well because I like spreading, you know, I, I, I try to, I try to um, it's, it's ending the cycle of hate, creating a cycle of positivity. So even if someone's not unhappy, I, I try to tip well so that their day brightens up and then they spread that brightness to other people. Because, man, it, it's, there, there's this really cool video where there's a little tiny domino and they gradually get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then there's a massive one. And it's something like you need a domino 67% the size of the next domino to knock it over. So you can start with this tiny little pebble and eventually you can knock over a wall. And that's how I think about the exponential increase in power. When you do something good for somebody and make them feel good, that, that, that extra five bucks on that check where they're like, whoa, that's a big tip. Now they're happy and they can spread around so much positivity. That's what I'm all about. 
So I'm, I'm totally for tipping. The point I'm trying to make is we, there are servers right now that I know personally who argue against this saying they make a ton of money, that they're making like 20 to 25 bucks an hour. And these kinds of laws actually threaten their, their livelihood. I know people who work like three, four hours in a night make 200, 300 bucks. I know people who make way more than that working high-end restaurants. So one of the issues here is I certainly agree that if we're going to have an industry, we have to guarantee a minimum wage. Well, that's my, my, my understanding is they do, right? So, so right now they pay $2.13 per hour. That's the federal minimum. My understanding though is that if you work as a server and you don't make those tips, then the restaurant has to cover up to minimum wage. But I think they only cover up to like, you know, which would be like 10 bucks an hour. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make is I'm, I'm trying to criticize the fact that we do have a multi-tiered system and like one industry is exempt from this for some reason. But I also want to highlight while I'm critical of that, I'm not a server. So I don't know if my opinion should be overriding those who actually work in the industry, especially if they like what they do and they're making good money doing it. So I, I defer to them. But if there's an organization that is saying, this is our opinion on the matter, I respect your opinion. I have no problem hearing you out and saying the restaurant industry should get the same wage as everybody else. Right on. Okay. That's you. You know better than me. But the real issue here is at what point do you stop, right? So the, the, the challenging thing is someone asked me the other day, should we get rid of the minimum wage? And I'm like, I don't know about that, right? I, I certainly think we have an issue with it due to technology, but the bigger issue, for, in, in my opinion, is supply and demand. So when it comes to the minimum wage, the bigger issue is not how much money you get. It's literally the value of your hour. But let, let's, let's read on because I'll get into this in a second. I don't want to rant, rant before we finish the news. Think about that for one minute. People cannot live on those kinds of wages. We can't allow people to be living off of tips and relying on tipped wages, Tlaib said. Tlaib added that the $15 minimum wage should be adjusted. She also called out America Rising, a Republican political action committee that was at the event. By the way, when we started it, it should have been 15. Now I think it should be $20. Make sure America Rising hears that. It should be $20 an hour, 18 to $20 an hour at this point, Tlaib said. America Rising tweeted footage of Tlaib's comment on Monday and noted that the lawmaker was calling for a $20 minimum wage. Why not 33? The New York Times wrote this story in, in January. Why not 33? The issue is, if you have 100 workers, here, here's, here, here's, here's the example I gave someone the other night. I'm like, check it out. I'm busy. I've got to run to the store to get the medicine for my kid. This is all hypothetical, but I don't have kids. I don't have time to mow my lawn, but the lawn has to be mowed, right? So I, I decide, you know what? I need to hire someone to mow my lawn. Now think about the supply of labor. 100 people line up saying, I want to mow your lawn. And I, I can go, ooh, man, all right. 10 bucks, who will do it? Then everybody starts yelling, I'll do it, I'll do it. I want to do it for 10, 10 bucks. And I say, oh, wow, everybody wants it. Five bucks. Then people, then eventually half of them leave and three or four out of the hundred say, uh, I, I guess I'll do it for five. And then I'm like, oh, I got three or four. Okay, who's going who's gonna to take the lowest bid? I have all the control in that situation. Now think about this. Let's say there's no labor supply. I need, I, I got to go run to the store to get medicine for my kids. I got no time to mow the lawn. I, 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 I go outside, nobody there nobody to do any work. And I'm like, there's nobody here. So I, so, so what do I do? I look for the, for the closest person I can knock on my neighbor's door. Hey man, I need somebody to mow my lawn. Can I pay you to do it? Now I've got a college educated six figure salary guy being like, I'm not going to mow your lawn. 
And I'm like, I can give you, a, I can give you 10 bucks. And he laughs, 10 bucks, never going to happen. Ugh. But someone has to mow my lawn. And the guy says, fine, give me a hundred bucks. And then you go, fine, because there's nothing, there's no one else, right? So this is a crude example of supply and demand, which for, I'm assuming most of you get, that's the point. So the issue we have is the value of that hour, even though it's just walking back and forth of the lawnmower, goes up exponentially when I have no choice. Now think about what happens when you have uncontrolled immigration and the low skill labor force is just flooded. Combine that with automation for, for low skill jobs and you are going to see the value of an hour plummet. That will not change if you pay them more by federal mandate. So again, when I was younger, we had different technological circumstances and there were still challenges in minimum wages. I certainly don't agree with the libertarian approach of getting rid of it and just letting people earn a dollar an hour. Because that to me is like, you're going to have a lot of people forced to do that. And I don't, I don't look, I, I got to say, I'm not an economist. You know, let's, let's read a little bit more of this story and, and wrap it up. They say, Tlaib posted a photo from the event where she was serving food in addition to giving remarks. The House passed a federal minimum wage of $15 an hour Thursday in a 231 to 199 vote. Dan Crenshaw put out a really great video. I, I got to say, I got tremendous respect for this man, Dan Crenshaw. I think he's a good dude. I think we disagree on some issues, but we probably agree on a lot. And I think it's, it's, it's actually really funny because uh, moderate liberals like, you know, Obama voters probably agree a lot more with conservatives these days than wherever the left has gone. But uh, he made a video talking about how a one size fits all policy for minimum wage federally makes no sense. He's completely right. And there's another reason why I think it needs to be assessed, uh, or I should stress, it does make sense in some places. Like if we were going to say serving staff should be guaranteed a a minimum wage, that makes sense. Um, Hypothetically, like again, I'm not a server for that particular industry based on its industry criteria. But what about McDonald's? and Burger King in places where they can just invest in a kiosk. And, and I know you may have heard me say this, but I'm going to say it again to anybody who hasn't heard it. If it costs you $20,000 a year to have somebody working the register, and it costs $40,000, probably more, to install a kiosk to automate their job, you're thinking about, okay, I can spend $40,000 right now, you know, permitting, construction, buying the equipment, or I can spend 600 bucks right now but 600 bucks every week. And even at the end of the year, I still haven't spent 40 grand. I'm going to keep the person on staff. So yes, it will expedite automation. I'm not saying it's an argument against a a federal minimum wage. It's just an example of how industries vary. So when it comes to say, uh, picking fruits and vegetables, can we automate that a lot of it? We can, what, what actually ignore the specific argument, uh, the specific uh, circumstance. There are many jobs that cannot be automated that people aren't getting paid enough, and it makes sense to mend it by industry, by region. But you end up with this. They say 15, you say fine, they say 20. Okay, fine. Then they say 33, and you say fine, then they say 50. There was a funny tweet I saw where somebody said, I d- everybody should make a million dollars an hour because we, thought we should all be rich. I can't wait to pay, ha- pay half a million dollars for a box of cornflakes. That's exactly right. Because the value of an hour doesn't matter. Like the, the, the value of that hour doesn't change. If somebody is going to, you know, uh, like how much do you want to spend per hour of labor? And the question is, it's actually a really interesting market question because the issue comes down to if an employer doesn't have to, he won't, right? They're going to try and cut costs. In the end, I think it's bad for everybody. 
because they'll pay as little as possible to get as much labor as possible, which reduces the buying power of the low skill, the, 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 the uh, lower class, which means they're buying less cheeseburgers, which can go back into your business. The problem is if you have two, if you have an influx, an endless supply of low skill labor, the business is going to offer competitive rates, which is what Bernie Sanders is doing. They don't care about what people deserve. They care about what the market will allow. So in the end, what can we do to increase the value of an hour? I honestly don't know because automation is decreasing the value of an hour. So it does make sense then to argue for some kind of base rate. How it's implemented is the bigger question. So let me just end by saying this. Obviously, it never ends. No matter where you go, the number will always increase. 33 an hour. Great. The reason people can't live on minimum wage today is not because they don't have enough money. It's because there, there is labor that has to go into everything they do, period. Think about this. Somebody's a landlord, okay? They need someone to fix the plumbing, fix the toilets, fix the lights, make sure the smoke detectors are working. They got to pay for that. What's the value of that labor? Whatever the market dictates. It doesn't matter what the minimum is. It matters what the market dictates. The market then dictates this work is worth X. The landlord then says, I need a tenant to live here, but they have to pay me X plus Y, where Y is enough to create a safety net and make this this, uh, living situation sustainable in the long run to effectively pay the salaries of those who maintain the building as well as the person who owns it. I do believe there's criticism. Yeah, I'm a lefty. So I, the, the idea of a landlord owning, you know, 50 properties and sitting on them and, make, and, and making money just like siphoning away that value is questionable to me. But private property, I get it. I'm not a socialist. So as much as I can disagree with how that system works, it is what it is. Maybe there's reform in certain areas we can do for, for, for landlords, but it is complicated. What I want to stress is the landlord needs to pay X plus Y. It's actually X plus Y plus Z, where X is the cost of the labor. Y is the cost of uh, additional administrative, miscellaneous, government taxes, and everything outside of the labor. Maintaining the building is X. And then Z is making it actually a sustainable business that can pay the salaries of the landlord, his staff, and effectively run the business properly. Just because someone's making profit doesn't mean they're sitting on a yacht somewhere in the middle of the ocean, though I do question exorbitant wealth from a lot of people who do very little for society. In the, in the end, you have that individual who has to pay that rent, the Y cost, is higher than the cost of the maintenance guy. So if it comes down to minimum wage, let's say you pay 15 bucks an hour to maintain that building. The person who, li- who lives there has to be able to pay more than the cost of the person who maintains the building. Granted, living there is, you know, way more hours per week. It's, it's like every hour of every day for, 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 the, for every month versus 10 to 20 hours per month for the maintenance guy. But they have to be able to afford that. If you jack up the minimum wage, the maintenance guy becomes more expensive. Rent, which is X plus Y plus Z, becomes more expensive too. And the person who can't afford to live there, nothing changes. I guess I could say it a million times. It's probably pointless to rant about this because I did it yesterday. But I think you all get it. The solution isn't just saying, give people money. It's, it's mind-blowing to me that there is a real argument for why minimum wages make sense. And, and let, me, let me just address this for those that may have not seen my other videos. It has to do with external products, imports, etc. If the cost of picking an apple in California doesn't change, but the wage increase in New Jersey hits, then people can buy more California apples. So that makes sense. That's why the federal uh, increase 
makes less sense. It's complicated. We have to look at it on an industry, industry per industry and region per region basis. So, you know what? I, I guess I'll leave it there. What I want to stress, it's something we often see on the left that they don't dive deep enough to figure out what comes next. You offer people a rate. Okay, tell me what happens after you pay $15 an hour. Well, with, after inflation hits, then you just get Rashida Tlaib saying, maybe we should do 20. And it's like, okay, but you realize the number is meaningless. It's the, it's the value it represents. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to leave it there. You get it. Stick around. Next video will be at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. Cory Booker calls Trump elderly, weak specimen, rejects testosterone urge to punch president. The only thing I'd say when I read this, I started laughing and I'm like, shut up, Cory Booker. You don't want to punch the president. You know what, you know what I see when I, when I see these stories? I'm just like, the Democrats are like, they weren't the losers in high school, but they certainly weren't cool. And they were the plastic kind of people desperately trying to be popular. Does Cory Booker really think saying that, oh man, you know, I got to resist a testosterone urge to like, wow, you really don't know what charisma is. And that's what I want to stress. We're going to go through this story and, and look, I, Trump is an old man, but to target an old guy and claim you have to resist your urge, like, come on, dude. So I've got I'm going to throw some shade the way the Democrats, well, as per usual. And listen, man, the thing is, Obama was strong. Obama was strong. You don't have to like the guy. You don't got to like his policies to admit to recognize that the dude had strength in his voice and he'd tell people to buzz off, that Obama did that. The Democrats of today, there's nobody on this field who has the strength that Obama had. That's why Obama won twice. That's the point I want to get to. I made it before, but let's read the story. Now, before we do, head over to timcast.com slash donate if you want to support my work. PayPal, crypto, physical address, you get it. Uh, the most important thing you can do is just share the video, subscribe. YouTube deranks independent commentary, so I rely on word of mouth. Let's read the news. Cory Booker, huh? Newsweek writes, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker said, despite President Trump being an elderly, out-of-shape man, Democrats are in a moral moment and can't stoop to his level of pithy name-calling and body-shaming. Literally, you did that. That's, a, that's man, pot, meat, kettle. The 2020 Democratic Party candidate for president said he was approached by a former fellow Stanford University football player that, oh my, <laughs> Corey, stop. You're not, you're not helping yourself. He was approached by a former fellow Stanford University football player at a recent Iowa campaign, campaign, campaign rally who asked him to, quote, punch Donald Trump in the face. He replied by telling the burly man, dude, that's a felony, man. Yes. It is. It's, it's beyond a felony. You can't hit the president. Come on. Booker, speaking on Late Night with Seth Meyers, used the anecdote to illustrate how civility can defeat Trump in 2020. Well, that I will respect, Corey. Spot on. Although he peppered in several insults about the 73-year-old president's unhealthy weight, strength, and stamina. Booker called Trump a physically weak specimen as the crowd cheered and a, and a visibly bothered Myers asked to move the conversation away from physical insults. Aw, Cory Booker didn't want to body shame people and then literally did. You can't body shame Trump because it's against your, well, never mind. They don't have rules. Apparently it's okay to body shame people you don't like. That, that's, what, that's what we've learned, I suppose. So uh, Booker called Trump uh, conversation away from physical insults. And you know what? He's, this is Cory Booker. Donald Trump is a guy who you understand he hurts you, said Booker. 
and my testosterone sometimes makes me makes <laughs> makes me want to feel like punching him, which would be bad for the elderly out of shape man that he is if I did that. I got I got to stop. I got to stop and say something. Based on reading this, it actually feels like Corey is you, you ever see one of those videos? There's tons of them where it's like two dogs are barking and there's a fence. And then someone will like open the fence, like slide out of the way and the dogs immediately stop. That's what I see with Cory Booker. Now, Trump's not involved, right? Here's the way I see it. Trump is this admittedly older and yes, to an extent out of shape dog sitting on the other side of the fence while he's yipping and yapping. When I hear Cory Booker say this, it actually says to me that Trump would probably beat the crap out of him if they got into a fight. And look, I get it. Cory Booker's a lot younger. So sure, there's an advantage there. But there's something I've learned that I, won't, I don't want to say is a universal law, but there's a saying, you know, it's, it's said in a lot of different ways. Like when you go to a bar, you got to watch out for the quiet person who's trying to avoid the fight. You know what I mean? The people who try to pick the fights, man, they get, they get laid out. Not always, not always, but I've seen so many videos because here, here's the thing. There's a video where a boxer, professional boxer is outside and it's like a surveillance footage and you can see him putting his hands up and these three guys are like getting in his face and he's going like this clearly saying like, hey man, stop, I don't want to fight you. And then they swing at him and he goes into boxer mode and he goes, boom, one shot, boom, one shot, boom. Here's the thing. People who know how to fight, people who know they can actually hurt you, do not want to fight. I've, I've, uh, I have friends who do different, like different kind of martial arts. I've got, uh, I have one friend, they do like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm not super into that kind of stuff. But whenever I talk to my friends who are like into, into martial arts and stuff, they always say, like actually Joe Rogan was telling me this, the people who are trained to fight are like the last people who want to fight. Like they, they understand the power, they're disciplined, they're trained, they're practiced, and they don't, they're not scared, right? People who talk big and act like they're the hotshots who are going to beat you up, that's a signal to me, you got, you got no game, Booker. And even though I don't know how old is he, like in his late 40s. You got a, you got a couple decades advantage on Trump. I don't buy it. Like, why would you say that? Not, not only that, but let's move beyond whether or not Cory Booker would actually get into a fight with the president at all, let alone who would win. And, it's, and, and my, my question is, why would Cory Booker even bring up the question? It sounds not like he actually would ever consider, it, it just, it sounds like, an, like fellow kids. Do you know what fellow kids is? It's different, but let me explain. On Reddit, there is a, a subreddit or a forum for those that don't know what Reddit is called Fellow Kids, which is basically mocking like corporations and individuals that are trying to pander to young people. It's from that uh, uh, 30 Rock episode, which you probably see the me- seen the meme where Steve Buscemi has this, he's, he's like, he's old and he's wearing a hoodie. His shirt says rock band and he has a skateboard and he's like a private eye. And he's like, how do you do fellow kids? That's what I hear when Cory Booker tries to talk big, like he's going to beat up Trump. It sounds like somebody who's trying to be like, hey guys, I'm really tough. Wah, I could fight the president. And it's, it's, you're not, you're not fooling anybody, dude. This is, this is the problem with the Democrats. It is the fake plastic attempts at looking strong. You don't got it. Okay. Let me go back to Obama. Obama had it. And that's why he won twice, period. You don't got to like his policies. I'll say it a million times. I detested his foreign policy detested to an extreme degree, the indefinite detention provisions. But I recognize the man had strength behind his voice. He would lean in when talking to you and he would say straight up X, Y, and Z, this is what we're doing. I saw one interview where he was talking about immigration 
And he did not pitter-patter. He did not back on. He was like, no, we cannot have these people coming here. We cannot do. I'm like, whoa. And it makes me, you know, when I see the Democrats of today, it really does make me miss Obama. Because again, not about policy. It's about an actual debate. It's about an actual display of strength from both sides. Uh, as, as someone tweeted to me, they said, an eagle requires two strong wings to fly. The Democrats are flipping and flopping and floundering under Trump. Trump has strength behind his voice. We all know it. In fact, he goes too far with it. I was in a car ride today in an, uh, in an Uber on the way to the studio. Man. Oh, by the way, for those that didn't know, I'm in the Blaze studio. I just did an interview with Glenn Beck. So they're letting me use one of their rooms to record before I fly back out. But I'm in the Uber on the way here. And the guy says to me, he's conservative. He doesn't like Trump's attitude, but he feels good that Trump is finally stepping up to the outrage mob. And I laughed and I'm like, I hear you. People want a strong president. Cory Booker looks plastic when he does this. He does not come off as strong, but I think that's what he's trying to do. Maybe Corey saw my video from a couple days ago where I said, you look at all of the Democrats up on stage and none of them have the strength of Obama and they can pretend they'll never have it. So, you know, look, here's, here's the way I put it for all the presidents. There's pros and there's cons. You know, most presidents have some good things about them, some bad, bad things about them. I tend to lean like there's a lot more bad things than good things. But you can look at what did get a lot of presidents the victory, and it's, I don't know what to call it. Like, it's an X factor, I guess, right? You look at the way Obama talked. You look at what he pushed, and he'd, he'd furl his brow. No. You know, he'd, he'd say, like, uh-uh. And that resonates with people. You can look at Cory Booker, and it seems like he tries. He tries to present strength, but he doesn't have it. Now, I will give him some respect, because I have seen some conversations where he's absolutely pushed back on people with, you know, like he has displayed strength before, but this right here shows the plasticity, the fakeness that is the Democrats that doesn't work. Think about how Trump would speak. Trump gets up on stage after that Republican body slammed a journalist and he's laughing <laughs> and he does that motion. I did not like that at that behavior. Okay. But I absolutely recognize he's, he's taken nothing from nobody. And that while I can disagree, like you should never physically attack someone. A journalist should not be physically attacked. Again, they don't get special protection. Just don't, shouldn't do it to people. I don't like the attitude, but I can recognize people see that. And Trump laughs, pushes back and says, I can do what I want. And while there's reasons to criticize that behavior, you have to accept that is a display of strength not seen, by the, not, not seen in the Democrats. And so you're going to get a lot of people who vote on that alone. Think about it, man. What are people really concerned with in today's day and age? The economy, policy for sure. But the president is the commander in chief. Do they want some frail, like, listen, you know, Bernie and Trump are similar in age. Bernie's a little older, I think. But Bernie looks weak. Okay. I liked Bernie back in the day. He's let me down. You look at how those activists took, took over his stage. And I'm like, that is not presidential. The president needs to basically put the hand on the forehead while they're trying to, you know, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? The, the smaller person like swings, but they can't reach and they hold them back. The president doesn't just need to be able to uh, affect, you know, bring about good policy decisions. They need to display strength and, and um, inspire confidence. Now, I'm critical of Trump for, the, for not doing the latter. I think he's lost. It's not necessarily his fault. It is in a lot of ways, but the media really does hate the guy. They're making money off him. Trump could do better, in my opinion. But Obama, 
You know, actually, I take that back. I feel like a lot of conservatives today feel the same, feel the way about Obama that liberals feel, feel about Trump to an extent, to an extent, right? I, I want to make sure I, 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 I clarify this and that the, the current iteration of the media and the left have lost their goddamn minds and there should be calm, rational criticism of the president. We're not seeing it for them. We're seeing frothing at the mouth, pink faced screeching. Not from everybody. I'm calling out the weirdo specifically. Don't throw eggs at my house. Let's read a little bit more. Booker said bigotry and demagoguery have always existed in American politics, but that notorious Southern civil rights era politicians, including George Wallace and Bull Connor, weren't defeated with bigger dogs and bigger firehouses, but instead by artists of activism who drew upon the American sense of morality. How did we beat them before? First off, don't mistake strength for to be strong, you need to be mean, Booker said. We need to be as a party in this moral moment. We need to talk about not what we are against, but what we are for. I agree with that. So I will admit this. I, I will make fun of Booker for this silly display of, I got to resist my testosterone urge to punch them. Oh, come on. Shut up, dude. Just chill out. But I can respect him when he says we need to be civil. We do. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Booker, but I got to admit, I like the guy more than most of the Democrats. And I will admit that he does have some strength, but not enough. Think about all the Democrats on the stage. Do any of them come anywhere near Trump's level of strength? You can call Trump's strength brutish, boorish, and wrong. Don't care. The point is, he looks tough. Sure, he's an old guy with weird hair, and a lot of, and, and Cory Booker can point out he's an elderly man, but it's not about physical toughness, although Trump, Trump is a big guy. It's about mental. It's about projection. It's about the look in the eye. It's about the attitude, the X factor. Booker doesn't have enough. But I can respect him here for saying we need to be civil. We do. They say Booker launched a charm offensive in March by saying his campaign would beat Trump's hate with love. Seriously, not. Come on. On Monday, the New Jersey senator laid out the case for Democrats to employ courageous empathy and civic grace, despite the difficulty of dealing with a president who uses the opposite political tactics. That's Trump's tactics, Booker continued. And you don't beat a bully like him fighting him on his tactics, on his terms, using his turf. He's the body shamer. He's the guy that tries to drag people in the gutter. That is the moral. Uh, this is the moral moment in America. And to me, what we need from our next leader, especially after the time of moral vandalism that we're in right now, is we need a leader that's not going to call us to the worst of who we are, but call us to the best of who we are. I agree to an ex- uh, uh, more than 50% here with, with, with Booker. Trump does try to drag you into the weeds. He knows how he knows how to play the press and he knows people. Whether anyone wants to admit it or not, Trump knows this game. And I will disagree to an extent. Booker is trying to differentiate himself. And while I can respect him saying we need to be the best of who we are, completely agree, take the high road. You've got to recognize cheaters win. Okay? When Trump goes on the debate stage, he doesn't say, I, I disagree with Jeb's current idea on policy. To an extent, he does. Okay, I'm not trying to act like Trump doesn't, but Trump brands people. He takes that, he understands perception is reality, and he uses that to his advantage. If you don't know how that works, and you think, I'm just going to ignore it, you'll lose. End of story, you will lose. Trump is going to figure something out about Booker, and he's going to say it, and it's going to stick like glue, and Booker's going to try and play this high road game. You've got to know how the game works. You've got to confront to a, to a certain degree Trump on his own playing field. Otherwise, you're, you know, I look at it this way. You're on the high road. Sure. Trump goes right underneath you and walks right past you to victory, to the goal. You've got to be able to defend yourself on all fronts. So I, I, I can appreciate the call for civility and the attempt at bringing out the best of us. But Trump really did change the game. 
That's why I like Marion Williamson because she, she, she gets it. I think she's a little kooky. I'm not trying to be mean to her. I think she's a sweetheart, but she's a little out there. And I disagree with, you know, she's, there's some weird videos of her, like asking white people to apologize to black people. And I'm like, that's weird. But she does bring up these issues about Trump's personality. And she was one of the few to recognize Trump didn't win on policy. He won on, on who he was. He won on, on personality. He won on targeting individuals. It's not about whether you're going to go on stage and say, we need X. It's about going on stage and saying, these people are nuts. Keeping in mind, policy does play a big role in this. So, so Trump does have policy positions, not like Beto, right? That's another, Beto might be like the weakest person on the stage. Like I can look at Booker and roll my eyes and say like, nice try, but at least you're trying. What, is, what does Beto have? No, 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 no. I'm sorry, Beto. I don't think you're a bad guy, but I think you're, you're, you should, Beto should drop out. Let's, re, let's read a little bit more. If we make this election all about him, that's a small man, one office. That's not what I want this election to be about, he continued. We will beat him. I will beat him. But we need more of a movement election to create new American majorities. I'm not talking about Democratic majorities, but the fact of the matter is we actually agree about a lot more than we disagree on. And I'll, I'll end by saying this. We don't need to, I've gone a little bit long on this video. You can act like the woke, regressive nonsense isn't a problem. There's a lot of people I know who are progressive, who are liberals, who just don't see it because they only follow mainstream news. You've got to read more sources. You've got to balance your news diet. I can't tell you how much, man, that regular people are seeing the fringe wackaloon left guiding the narrative. And if Booker thinks he's going to get out of this without calling out the regressive left, that's, that's becoming a vocal, vocal, it's a vocal minority, but they're dominating the conversation. If you don't call them out, then you have ostracized yourself. But here's the thing. The activists left who they need for the primary, they don't, they, they're being indoctrinated by the psycho delusion, delusional state. But um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Let me just end by saying, tone it down, Corey. No, we don't believe you have an overwhelming testosterone urge to punch the president. I, 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 you need to chill because it just comes off as fake. Stick around. Next segment will be at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCast. It is a different channel, and I will see you there. The information war is a dirty and dangerous beast. Everybody's trying to convince you one thing is true or the other, and we get a lot of fake news in the media. So it's hard to know what is true sometimes because, but yes, you're going to have people on the left and the right. They're going to try and push that narrative. So I can say one thing before we get into the story. And I don't, don't want to bury the lead. Let's just say it. Police are doubling down on claims that some of the protesters in Portland were throwing a quick read, and we have a police report to actually look at. So I want to make sure that's clear so I don't bury the lead. But I do want to stress, you know, I, I often see this with me even, people trying to tweet out that I'm even more liberal than I really am to like prove a point about liberals being thrown under the bus, they'll conflate my positions for the benefit of political ideology. You know, so I've said recently, like I'm pro public health care, meaning like expanding Medicaid, creating a public option, eventually maybe getting to universal health care. And they immediately choose to say Tim Pool is pro universal health care. And I'm like, not helping the conversation, but I know why they do it. Because they want to be like, look, the left is targeting even liberals. I get it. It's an information war. Okay. Here's the thing. In Portland, the police tweeted they had reason to believe there was concrete in the milkshakes being thrown. We now see all of these left-wing publications saying false rumors, conspiracy theories. And it's like, dude, when government officials and law enforcement put it out there, you can question it. But conspiracy theory, seriously, it's official, uh, official statement at that point. So we have this story from Daily Mail that I want to go through. 
Uh, Police doubled down on claims some protesters may have thrown milkshakes filled with concrete when Antifa demonstrators uh, clashed with right-wing campaigners in Portland. We have, uh, they say, Lieutenant Richard A. Stainbrook said he recognized quickrete on a woman at a Portland rally and on the ground, said it smelled like quickrete, it felt like quickrete, it looked like quickrete. Does that mean every single milkshake thrown was concrete? No. But I'll tell you this, if you only get your news from like HuffPo or BuzzFeed or Verge or whatever, you're probably going to hear about conspiracy fake news. And they're trying to pass this off on Jack Posobiec. So if, you, if, if you're not familiar with who, who he is, high profile Trump supporter, host for One American News. And what they've done is the police tweet this out. Jack later tweets a photo saying, was this it? They then flip the narrative and say, aha, look, Jack tweets this. And then the police said it to try and make it seem like it was fake news. We now have the police report. So let's dig into it. Before we get started, make sure you head over to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But as you know, the best thing you can do, share this video because YouTube has deranked independent commentary. So I rely on you and word of mouth to help grow the channel and spread the word. If you like the content, I ask you share it. Otherwise, just we'll get into the news. The story says, Portland police have said one of their lieutenants firmly believed that some milkshakes being thrown at protesters during a rally were filled with concrete. Lieutenant Richard A. Stainbrook wrote a report containing the claims about the June 29th protests in Portland, Oregon, two days after they occurred, reports the Oregonian. During the weekend rally, group Popular Mobilization are said to have organized a milkshake party aiming to be a counter-protest against the right-wing Proud Boys. The police force tweeted, There had been reports of individuals throwing milkshakes with a substance mixed in that was similar to a quick drying cement on that day. Now, I do want to stress, for those that are familiar, this is where Andy Ngo was attacked. Very, very high profile incident. It's even been named in Senate resolutions now. There's a resolution calling for Antifa to be dubbed domestic terrorists, and they actually reference the attack on Andy Ngo. You can see there on the screen. Uh, For those of you who can't, it's just him scuffed up. He's bleeding. He's got, you know, his bruise and, and scrapes and lesions covered in milkshake. Now, Andy No later said, I, I could be wrong, but I, I'm, I'm fairly certain he does not believe what he was hit with had any concrete in it. Fair point. But of course, you now have people on the left saying, aha, it was fake news. No, we have the report. It's a police statement. Take it seriously. It doesn't mean it was true. It doesn't mean it's a conspiracy. It just means a police officer saw it firmly believed it, reported it, and it's, and, it's, and it's appropriate to act on that. So if the police think it's true, trust them if you want or not, whatever. They say, Portland police did not specify in the original tweet or in the report later released which group at the demonstrations allegedly threw the milkshakes. Death threats were made against popular mobilization who are also known as pop mob after the tweet was posted. They claimed that the only ingredients in the drinks were coconut ice cream, cashew milk, and rainbow sprinkles. And his report, look, it's probably true, but all it takes is one or two people to spike a drink with, with quickrete and throw it at somebody. And one of the things the left, man, it's all about just manipulating information, claiming that, uh, you know, uh, sugar stops concrete from setting, therefore it's fake news. And people eat this stuff up and just believe it. No one was claiming they were concerned about an exothermic drying reaction. The concern is that uh, wet concrete is alkaline. Whether or not it's got sugar in it can burn you. It's a chemical burn. Let's read on. They say, in his report, Lieutenant Stainbrook explained how he had been approached by a woman whose head and shoulders were covered with a gray colored substance. He wrote, 
that I have worked with concrete periodically and specifically quickrete, which is pre-mixed concrete specifically many times. The substance on the, on the female smelled like quickrete. I also noticed as the substance was drying, it was turning into a chalky consistency, which from my experience is consistent with drying concrete. So check this out. Let's, let's, let's read his report. He says, on July 29th, I was working in full uniform and assigned as the commander of second platoon for, I believe that's RRT. I was at the intersection of SW Morrison and 6th Avenue. At this time, we had an incident where a subject threw the substance contained in a cup known as a, known as a quote, milkshake at two male standing on the corner. I assigned Officer Kennedy and her partner to take a report from the two victims. As Officer Kennedy was taking the report, I had an unknown female walk up to me and say, those things are filled with quickrete. I looked at the female and she was covered about, he- about her head and shoulders with a gray colored substance that was starting to dry. I have worked with concrete periodically and specifically quickrete, which is premixed concrete specifically many times. The substance on the female smelled like quickrete. I also noticed as the substance was drying, it was turning into a chalky consistency, which from my experience is consistent with drying concrete. The female walked away from me before I could direct to an officer so a report could be taken. I also noticed some of the substance on the ground. The substance on the ground was also drying quickly and turning to a chalky consistency. I firmly believe these milkshakes that were being thrown, he puts in quotes, thrown around at and onto people contained some form of concrete. For situational awareness purposes, I broadcast over my radio, the milkshakes being thrown around contained quickrete. While, uh, while, we're, while we're in the same area, I think it's a typo, I observed several people who had this substance thrown on them. So the important distinction, for one, police officer thought it was real, doesn't mean it is. It's probably true that, or I shouldn't say it's probably true, but it's, it's possible it was just one or two of these, quote, milkshakes. So the, the, the real issue we have here is an official statement by the police. They witnessed it. Do we want to act like Antifa is going around lobbing cr- concrete at people? Not necessarily, but we do have reason to believe it may have been true. O- again, in the information wars, they're going to lie, cheat, and steal. The story goes on to say, conservative writer Andy No. An editor at the online publication Quillette was also attacked at the June rally. Video from the day shows him being punched, kicked, and covered in milkshake by members of the Antifa move- movement. I don't know if movement is the right way to put it. The writer tweeted afterwards that he was bleeding and had been robbed of his camera equipment and was heading to the hospital. He said, attacked by Antifa, bleeding. We, we, we know all this, so I'm not going to rehash it. We'll just go down to the conclusion. At least three demonstrators from Antifa uh, were arrested during the event, and other people were hurt too. People had their head gashed open. It is thought at least three groups had planned rallies or demonstrations at different sites in the city. The fights occurred when participants of the opposing groups met, according to the Oregonian Oregon Live. The protests came a day after white supremacist James Field was sentenced to life in prison. I don't know why that's relevant. I don't believe it is. But I want to stress a couple things. I don't believe there's been law enforcement action against Pop Mob. There probably should be. But admittedly, it is complicated. Here's the thing. Pop Mob organized a milkshake party at a time where we knew milkshakes were being used specifically to throw at people for political violence. Is it the most extreme violence I've ever seen? Of course not. It's milkshakes. We get it. It still is violence. It still is a crime. Why hasn't any action been taken? You know, look, in in the Senate, they're saying they want to call Antifa terrorists, whatever. I don't think that's going to do anything. It might. There could be more investigations. But the question is, what's being done in Portland? And, And why is the answer nothing? 
You know, maybe there's something happening behind the scenes, but we all, nothing gets done. And I got to say, it's rather frustrating. I'm sure you guys, everybody watching feels similarly that we see this stuff happen all the time and nothing ever gets done about it. So why would anyone stop? After this, it was the same day we see Sean King encourage acts of terror. Then a couple weeks later, we see a guy actually take this out in, uh, in Tacoma, Washington, attacking an ICE facility and they champion it. When is anything going to be done about this? I ask you. I, don't, I, don't, I, I just don't see it. And that's why I do believe we can expect escalation. If people are allowed to do this stuff with impunity, why would they stop? If they're praised by the media, why would they stop? If police think they're throwing concrete and then you get far left media running defense for them, why would anyone stop? They're not gonna. So anyway, I'll leave it there. Stick around. A couple more segments coming up in just a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Ricky Gervais is amazing. He is funny, but he's also been defending free speech. And I got to say, man, Ricky, you got to be careful. And I mean this sincerely. I'm a huge fan. You are saying things that I believe will get you in trouble in the UK. We've seen people arrested for misgendering. We've seen people arrested for online jokes. And now we have this story. Ricky Gervais called transphobe for defending women refusing to wax trans women's penis. So I, I agree with Ricky Gervais. It's kind of crazy. And, I, and I'll, I'll stress this too. Look, I've always been of the opinion, you know, when it comes to the Colorado baker, a lot of people don't understand the issue of the baker was not that he was refusing service to a gay couple, but he was refusing a custom message he didn't want to espouse. My response was, it's not that big a deal to write something on a cake. It doesn't have to be your language and maybe you can have someone else write it. But they refused. And I believe he won for the most part, though people are, I would say, I would say they're harassing him. They won't stop coming to this guy's bakery. Here's the thing, though. It's really, really easy to have that opinion when it's just writing something on a cake. I'm like, dude, it takes, take it 10, 20 minutes. You just take icing, you do it. You have to agree with it. This is different, but it's the same principle. And this really pressures me on a principle level. I try to do everything based on like something that makes sense and is consistent and fair. But I'm not sure how I'm going to have to be the person to be like, if you're a woman, you have to be mandated by the state to touch a guy's junk. That makes no sense. Well, Ricky Gervais agrees. And we have this story from Newsbusters. They say, British comedian Ricky Gervais has been called transphobic over defending women refusing to wax trans women in Canada because they are uncomfortable dealing with clients' very male genitals. Gervais defended the spa worker, saying that it's real feminism for women to choose who to wax or not. But internet users aren't having it. They say, remember, trans women have more political victim tokens than ordinary women. Well, it's a very biased article, I'll say that. If Gervais would only remember that, he wouldn't be dragged as he is at the moment. They say on Sunday, the creator of The Office UK weighed in on one of the more stupidly woke issues to crop up in in recent memory in Canada. Stupidly woke is about as Canadian as maple syrup, so that's not saying much. All right, all right. I'm I'm not one that usually uses very hyperbolic articles like this. So I think we get the point, but I do have, I, I do want to stress that Ricky's under attack. Okay. It, it, they're coming for him over this. Check this out. It's another story from Newsbusters. Jerry Seinfeld, Ricky Gervais fight for the right to joke about anything versus PC police. Now there's a segment with, with uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Ricky Gervais. They're driving in this car and you can see it right here. And Ricky says something like, I love New York. Jerry asks him why. He says, it's vibrant. You can people watch. No two people are alike. 
And Jerry Seinfeld then makes the comment, you know, in which country are they alike? And Ricky says something like, oh no. And then Jerry says, China. And Ricky's like, oh no. Here you co- here it comes. Here's the point though. Although Ricky seems uneasy by it, it's, it's on purpose. It's the lead into the conversation about if you're allowed to be offensive in comedy. And they ask, so do we leave in the China joke or not? Ricky asks Jerry Seinfeld, do you really believe they all look the same? And he says, no, of course not. It's a joke. And I really got to recommend, I really got to recommend um, Ricky Gervais on Sam Harris because he makes, some really, he makes a really good point. And forgive me, I am not a comedian, but I'm going to tell you that Ricky's, Ricky's jokes and I'm doing a disservice to him by, by telling you this because he's so good at it. But he makes the point that in this woke day and age, people assume your joke is your literal opinion on the matter. And he says something like a good example is, Ricky goes, I have a joke where I say, oh, that Stephen Hawking is so pretentious. You know, he's from, you know, he's born in Yorkshire, but speaks with that phony American accent. Okay, I, I can't, I'm, I'm ruining the joke. I don't exactly know where Stephen Hawking was from, but you get the point. Of course, he doesn't think Stephen Hawking is pretentious. Is that ableist? It actually is. The joke is Stephen Hawking uses a computer to speak. And so he's poking fun saying it's a phony American accent. That's why it's funny. Is he really trying to disparage this man for not being able to talk? No, of course not. But there you go. It's going to be called ableist. He has another joke, he says, where he's like, oh, I saw this really sad story about a seven-year-old girl who had to walk three miles from her village to get fresh water. She should move. And that, that's the joke. Of course, she can't move. That's why it's funny. So I really do recommend it because their jokes are way better. I am not a comedian. But I, I do want to highlight this because it's, it's a really, really important statement that in today's day and age, the, these people, the, the issue I see with Trump in politics and the jokes is that they take everything literally. They believe it's, it's like they, they can't think properly. I don't know where this comes from, but they, they were saying during the election that Trump supporters take Trump seriously, but not literally. And the anti-Trump people take him literally, but not seriously. That's a really important point to be made. Now, I don't, I don't want to uh, um, de- like derail off of the original point. I want to make sure I can get to some of these uh, more important issues. What I want to stress with Wiki Gervais is that he lives in a country that doesn't have free speech. What he said is offensive, and he can get in trouble for this. Now, fortunately for him, he is a privileged white male. I'm kidding. He's actually very privileged, though. He's wealthy, powerful, and famous, and that's going to provide him some protections. Although I wouldn't be surprised if someone came forward and demanded an apology. But what do you think happens then when he talks about this very idea with Jerry Seinfeld? Well, of course, regular Americans are going to find it funny. Go to a Joe Rogan show, and he's offensive. But he, he goes after everybody. Comedy should. Here's the thing. What do we get? The Daily Dot. Comedians in cars getting coffee returns with Seinfeld making a racist joke about China. The point of the joke was to highlight the issue of racist jokes. How meta can you get? Of course they knew it was a racist joke. They weren't making the joke to make a racist joke. They were using a racially loaded joke as a, as a, a, as the point of the video. But these people don't understand nuance and meta. They, they heard the joke. Oh, heavens. Seinfeld said a racist joke. No, he specifically made that not to be funny, but to highlight the issue of being allowed to be offensive. And sure enough, the woke brigade is here to be offended that he did it. Totally missing the point. Totally missing the point. But you know what? We know it's the world we live in. So I I do want to make sure the point of this segment is clear. Ricky Gervais is a badass. 
He's awesome. I'm a huge fan. He's defended speech. He's a moderate person. I think he's probably in a similar space to I am in our criticisms, pointing to the, to the bad, bad stuff on the right, but also recognizing the left has gone off the rails. Okay, there, there's criticism to go around. Nobody's perfect. But I'm going to say right now, the center and the right are, are in alignment for the most part because of how crazy the left has gotten. But I do want to make sure that I end this with another just absolute absurdity that shows you how crazy things have gotten. This is a story from CBS News. Macy pulls plates with mom jeans and skinny jeans portions. Why? Because one person with a blue check mark, by the way, tweeted, who can help me get this banned? Now, I did see an interesting tweet. They said one tweet complaining and Macy's caves and bans a product. That sounds kind of like it's a, it's a plant. It's a PR stunt. And it may be. Let's read a little bit of this. They say, oh, so here's a tweet. Ali Ward, how can I get these plates from Macy's banned in all 50 states? Was that a joke? Macy said it has halted sales of novelty plates that outlined mom jean, skinny jean food portions after consumers on social media said the design body shamed people. The retailer apologized for missing the mark on this product. I don't buy it. This is a weird story. Either we've gotten to a point. Oh, actually, hold on. Oh, so, so okay, hold, this is interesting. The plates were called out on Twitter on Sunday by Ali Ward, a science correspondent for CBS's The Henry Ford's Innovation Nation with Mo Rocca, who spotted the items at a Macy's store. The plates have three concentric circles with the narrowest labeled skinny jean and the largest mom jean. How did something like this so happen? Have we become so sensitive to, these, to the ridiculous outrage mob that within the same day that some random person tweets a photo, the company pulls the product? That, to me, seems absolutely insane. They say other consumers of the plates enabled body shaming and were insensitive toward people with eating disorders and other problems. I actually think it's hilarious, and I would now like to buy this product, but I'm not going to because I'm not going to be a victim to your fringe, weird, potential marketing ploys. I'll say this. The only thing that needs to be said, Macy's, you're insane, and, and nobody should shop. This is the message you've sent. I don't care about your plates. They were funny. But now I will do everything in my power to avoid going to Macy's. Uh, let's be real, though. I'm a 33-year-old guy. I don't go to Macy's anyway. They're irrelevant. Maybe this was the point. They're trying to get their bid to be woke and be like, oh, no, you know, we made a mistake, and now we're going to cater to the mob because we're desperate. Sorry, Sears are out of business. Macy's is next in line. I really doubt they're going to survive. But, but in the end, I only lightly highlight the story because I don't, I don't want to do like a full segment on it. It's stupid. Just to point out that... Um, Look, man, we all know things are getting crazy. If, if, if this is a real story about the plates getting removed, then I fear we're getting more sensitive to this nightmarish outrage culture. And I worry. They may, they're already coming for Ricky Gervais. They're calling him a transphobe. They're complaining about the racism, putting his picture. He's not even the one who made the joke. Look at this. And they, they, they put it on him. I kid you not. We are going to see a lot of attacks on him for his defense of free speech. And, and when you can see how, how pathetic things are getting with these plates... You know, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a, a sidestep, but it's in the same realm. So I'll leave it there. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you shortly. We have a couple updates on the Democrat race hoax. For those who are not familiar, a woman named Erica Thomas claimed that a grocery store, a guy yelled, her, yelled at her to go back where you came from. And then she made a video streaming, crying, saying, I can't believe this. Oh, what a world. And then this guy actually shows up to a press conference, says she's lying never happened. And by the way, I'm Cuban. And then she later says, 
well, I don't want to say he actually said go back where you came from. So the whole story seems to be BS. The two big updates. The guy, he's considering suing. And the lady is calling for criminal charges against a man for being rude to her. Welcome to the psychosis of out of control wokeness. You know what, man? The Democrats who don't pay attention to this are, are digging their own graves. They are willfully ignorant to this insanity. This is a Democratic lawmaker who, in, who is engaged in a racial hoax by all accounts. It appears that way. And where, where is the sane left to be like, oh man, that was bad. We get Covington, we get Smollett, we get this. How many times does that have to happen? Your credibility is on the line. And if you want, to, want votes, you've got to stop this stuff. They're exploiting our goodwill. Let's read a little bit of the story. I want to get to the point about uh, his lawsuit, but then I have the other story here from Washington Examiner where she's calling for uh, him to be arrested, which is ridiculous. Uh, Before we get started on this one, make sure you head over to timcast.com slash donate if you want to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address, but you know the drill. If you really do so, if if you really do like what I'm, what I'm, uh, what I make, what I say, I require um, your assistance. YouTube's deranking political commentary, so share this video if you really like it. Let's read the news. They say from, what is this, Newsfront? Newsmax. Man denies telling GA Democrat to go back, considers a lawsuit. They say Eric Sparks says he called Erica Thomas a selfish little, uh, I believe, uh, a B, S-O-B, because he thought she had too many items in the express checkout lane. He said, I am in the process of exploring with attorneys a defamation lawsuit against her. I hope, hope, hope it comes out because they can actually file discovery and get the surveillance footage. I don't know if that's going to exonerate him necessarily because there probably won't be audio. But if there is, wow, this is why everybody should wear body cameras all the time. I'm I'm half kidding, but man, I'm really considering just strapping a camera to my head and being like, hey, you're on camera. Anything you say or do. Romantic encounters, camera. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's read a little bit more. Thomas, a vice chairwoman of the House Democratic Caucus, in a video posted to Facebook on Friday evening, said Sparks cursed at her in front of her young daughter and told her to go back to where she came from. She went back to the the grocery store to talk to reporters about the incident. Sparks was there too, and the two feuded on camera. He admitted he did it. We know all the story. I don't want to rehash it. Let's get to the next bit where she calls for him, I kid you not, to be arrested. Can I just stress, this is evil. We've got a liar, a manipulator, and now an authoritarian. So listen, do I think this is representative of all, all Democrats? No, I don't. But I'll tell you this, as long as they don't stand up to it, I, have, I, 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 I do not want to have anything to do with you. This is not the most powerful Democrat in the country, but how much has to happen before anybody calls these people out? I, 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 I kid you not, a lack of accountability, the lack of accountability in, in most systems is one of the most frustrating things to me. I see a cop do wrong and doesn't get charged for a crime when it's obvious. I get angry. Do I think all cops are bad? No, of course not. I just want accountability. I do think cops should be held to a higher standard, but let's not derail. When I see Ilhan Omar make anti-Semitic comments, I want accountability. Doesn't happen. They can't do it. They can't pull it off. Great. They just rally around them and prop them up. This woman now, where all the people who praised Smollett, did they come out afterwards? No. They prop him up. No accountability. You know, I guess there was some in that he's going to get a special prosecutor and he, and he got the show canceled. Let's read what they say about this story. They say Georgia State Rep. Eric Tom- Thomas wants man arrested over alleged racist confrontation. They say uh, 
when it, yeah, so we get the we get the context. They say uh, Thomas told WSB TV about her demand that Eric Sparks be charged after a press conference in which she was not backtracking her initial claim, which she already did on camera. Richard Elliott for WSB says. State Rep. Eric Thomas just told us she wants police to charge the man who confronted her in in a Mableton grocery store at 12. How this controversy has gone viral and how both Dems and Republicans are reacting to it. I kid you not. How much you want to bet the Democrats are circling the wagons, even though they know. Look, man, I don't care for double standards. Okay, I've seen a lot of Republicans refuse to criticize Trump when he should be. I don't care for it. When Trump put out those tweets on the 14th, I immediately criticized him. When the people at the Trump rally were chanting, send her back, I immediately criticized this. 100%. I do not care for double standards. I'm not picking and choosing. I am looking at this woman and thinking she crossed a line and she is nuts. And now she's trying to abuse her power and abuse the goodwill of everyone. This guy, Eric Sparks, you know what, man? I think it was really silly that he decided to confront her. So what, man? She put too many items in the, in the, in the express checkout. I do that too. I don't, I don't try to abuse it, but I'll have a few more items. It's fine. You know, we give people a little extra room for these things and you got to learn to choose your battles. But look, I can criticize the guy for doing that because it was silly. He had two other lanes that were open. Why do you need to get involved? I guess you want to set up whatever. But what ended up happening is, look, the, the, whether or not the guy should have criticized her is a non-issue. I wouldn't even talk about it if it, like, if that was it. You think I'm going to make a video where like, you know, what do they do? They call people Becky and they say like, you know, lawnmower Linda called the police on a black person, blah, blah, blah. I don't care about it. It's like, dude, I get it. Some people are bad people, right? Some guy went up to a woman and yelled at her in a checkout line. I don't care. That's not news. What is news is that a Democratic lawmaker is engaging in what appears to be a hoax for political gain and trying to ruin the, ruin this guy over this nonsense incident. Let's read a little bit more. They say, The Georgia Democrat originally claimed Friday that Sparks had confronted her in a Publix grocery store checkout line and told her to go back where you came from. Thomas appeared initially to backtrack the claim on Saturday, saying in an interview, I don't know if he said go back or those types of words. I don't know if he said go back to your country or go back to where you came from, but he was making those types of references is what I remember. Why would a Cuban guy walk up to a black woman and say, go back where you came from? Where does he assume she came from? It's not, it's not an issue of like someone with an accent, I guess. So uh, the reporter then asks, so you don't remember exactly what he said? A reporter asked Thomas, no, no, definitely not. But I know it was go back because I know I told him to go back. The lawmaker responded. Maybe he said, go back to the other line. And okay, so, so let me give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe, maybe she just overreacted. Maybe he said, why don't you go back to the other line and stop, you know, abusing the express line or something like that. I doubt it. This guy seems to know exactly what he said. And he said, I called her a lazy SOB. Sparks has argued Thomas's version of the story is untrue, of course. And that the worst thing he said was to call her a B for having too many items in the express checkout. I got to say, man, when she herself said, I don't remember what he said. I don't want to say he was saying these things. It's done. Can we be, can we be through with it? But the, the, the bigger issue here is the calls for police charges. At the very least, he was rude to you. And that's it. What more could be said? What would he be charged with? And this, you know what? I'll say this too. This is one of the things that makes me feel bad for a lot of cops. When you get someone, uh, oh, ooh, I, I got to tell you the story. Okay, well, wrap, we, I got a good story for you to wrap this, story, wrap this one up because we get it. She wants charges. I don't think she'll get them. Fine. But let me tell you a story about what police have to deal with, huh? So uh, back in 2016, I was near 30 Rock in New York City and a protest showed up, anti-Trump. They were pro-Bernie. 
some guy sees the small group of protesters and starts going, Trump, Trump, yelling, right? You know, Trump's name. Runs up to him and starts jumping up and down and yelling. And this woman in the protest gets angry, walks up to the police and says, you need to stop him. And it was a lady cop. And she goes, stop him from what? And the protester says, he's yelling Trump. And, And the cop was like, and? And she's like, he's, it's harassment. You need to stop him. The cop goes, listen, ma'am, you're allowed to yell. And so we, so is he, I can't arrest him for this. And this protester woman says, I will have your badge. I will call the supervisor and all this other ridiculous nonsense. And I'm watching this happen and it's hilarious. And this poor lady cop is like, what makes you think you have a right to yell here? And he doesn't, he has the same rights you do. If you want him arrested, you have to get arrested. And I'm just like, oh yeah, (laughs) it's hilarious. So, um, but that's the point. If the point I'm trying to make with that story and why I want to bring it up, if she thinks he should be charged, so should she, right? If they both yelled at each other and she admits it, then if you think he's going to get charged and arrested, why wouldn't you get charged and arrested? Special treatment rules for thee, but not for me. It's all too common with this. But in the end, what we really see is the exploitation of goodwill for political power. So look, people know it works. We, we, there's another story going viral right now about some YouTuber guy who was falsely accused. I don't know the details, but why would someone make a false accusation of like assault? There's money to be made, man. There's power to be gained. And some people are evil. They have no integrity, no honor. It's just gimme, gimme, gimme. And they'll do whatever it takes to get it. So don't be surprised when they do. But um, I try to keep these segments a little bit short, so I'll leave it here. Thanks for hanging out. Stick around. Next segment will be at 10 a.m. tomorrow, podcast 6.30 p.m., and uh, I appreciate it. Share the video if you like it. You can follow me on Minds at Timcast, and I will see you all next time.